We're going to continue in 2 Samuel chapter 3, part 2 of Traits of the Carnal. Neil Postman, the once chairman of Department of Communication Arts at NYU, said this, If politics is like show business, then the idea is not to pursue excellence, clarity, or honesty, but to appear as if you are, which is another matter altogether. Abner would have appeared to have had the nation's best interests at heart. The nation was at a critical time of transition, and it needed leadership, it needed clarity, it needed honesty, it needed all of those things. And like the Antichrist will, Abner would have presented himself in a way that would have communicated to the people, I'm your man. You're looking for leadership? I got that. You want clarity? I've got that. You want honesty? I've got that for you. That's how he would have fashioned himself since David had become Saul's enemy. Why should the nation now bow to him as king? Saul didn't. Uh, Saul would have maligned David to anyone that would have listened. Politically speaking, Abner was a nation's nightmare. Israel did not need civil war or politics. Now, for some, this will be an amen moment. And for some, this might be something for you to think on a little further. But I need you to hear this. Politics never solve real problems. They never have, they never do, and they never will. If I can confess, I had to come to that realization. I had to. The only way that politics could solve real problems would be if the men and women in politics were biblicists. That is, they believe that God's word is the final authority regarding any situation, any scenario, any matter. But since they are not biblicists, this is why politics cannot solve real problems. And some of us need to maybe embrace that. But the next trait that we see in our look at traits of the carnal, it reinforces this. It does. Look at verse 9. So do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David... Even so I do to him to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba. So the relationship between Abner and Isbosheth, as we see here, is crumbling. It's crumbling. And you should know that relationships that are rooted in carnality always do. Relationships that are rooted in carnality are always living and breathing on borrowed time. They cannot last. Abner was enraged, and that would be putting it lightly, he was enraged by Isbosheth's questioning of him regarding Saul's concubine. Who are you? You don't get to question me. No, I question you. And like many politicians over the years, 
his tone and his tune have changed. Significantly, Abner now swears his allegiance to David. What? He's for David now. And he pronounced the worst judgment on himself if he didn't do that. The next observation about the carnal is that they are situational. They're situational. Someone who is situational says and does things based on current circumstances. So whatever the current circumstances call for is who I become and it's what I do. My father-in-law likes buttermilk so much that he drinks it straight. Like he'll pour like a like the glass that you pour to, to have a glass of water or a soda or something like that. He pour, I mean, he drinks buttermilk like that. So during my first meeting, the first time I met him, he asked me, do you like buttermilk? It's like, well, I've had buttermilk biscuits. I've had buttermilk pancakes. Yeah, I like buttermilk. Sure. And so he poured me. He poured me a glass, about like this, of buttermilk. There you go. Man, it's nice to have somebody else that likes buttermilk, like me. And I thought, okay, how much do I really love this woman? By the grace of God, I got it down. He goes, you want another? Well... Actually, I don't. Uh, He realized that I really didn't like buttermilk. You know, Paul said, unto the Jews, I became as a Jew. There are situations in life where there are circumstances that say our approach needs to change. Nothing wrong with that. But in a carnal person, they are different in those situations. It's not just that their methods change. It's that they themselves change. Here's what I need you to hear. For the carnal, character is always negotiable. It's always negotiable for the carnal. It depends on the situation. When Paul became a Jew to the Jews, his ministry approach changed, but his character did not. You see that? His character was the same. He didn't cross any lines in the eyes of God. He didn't grieve the spirit of God. Abner knew that David was God's choice for king. Look at verse 9 again. As the Lord has sworn to David, he knew. He knew all along that this was God's will. He knew all along what God desired. And so now, what's he doing? Now, he's pledging his allegiance to David, not because of that, though. He's not pledging his allegiance to David because this is God's plan. Listen, he is pledging his allegiance to David now because he's angry at Isbosheth. How's that for character? 
How's that for it, Yeah, it, it, it doesn't really matter what, 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 what God's word says. It doesn't really matter what God desires. I tell you what, Isbasha, so you want to roll like that? Then how about this? I'll get even with you. <laughs> Are you situational? If we're honest, we're all tempted to be at times. Do you have conversations about others that you would not have in their presence? Are we uncomfortable yet? Would unbelievers in your life be stunned? I mean stunned. To learn that you claim to believe that the Bible is the final authority in your life. Would they fall out of their chair to learn or hear that about you? Are you kind and loving to your family in public to only treat them differently at home? Tell you what, boy, pastors can be really good at that one. Man, they can say some of the most amazing, wonderful, sweet things to their wives. And then I heard a a joke once, uh, a pastor said, uh, him and his wife, they were driving in a car. And well, actually, it was a true story. I take it back. Um, This well-known pastor shared this. He said um, they were driving, and they were starting a marriage series, and they were, they were promoting it uh, in, the, in the church, in the yard of the church, and they were driving by the church, and he says to his wife, he goes, hey, you know what that means, right? We're starting a marriage series this, this, this weekend. And she goes, yeah, I know exactly what it means. It means you're going to be really sweet to me this week. <laughs> like, Ouch. It's not just pastors, though, um, but we, we, we can all do that. In public, we, we know how to put the face on. We know how to, you know, play the part. And on the outside, it looks like the perfect family. And then we get home, and we're as ice cold as a, an ice cube and distant and quiet and removed and cranky and irritable and just lousy. But in public, you would never get that. Does a disagreement, disappointment, or difference of opinion significantly affect your relationships? Are are people in your lives constantly vacillating between being your friend and your enemy? So this week we're good. But oh my goodness, next week you you, you said something, you did something, and, and please... Jesus Christ is not situational. Uh, Hebrews 13:8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Being situational in character, it's not Christ-like, it's carnal. Now, because God is sovereign and immutable, that is, he does not change, he was able to use situational Abner to advance his will. That's how good and great he is. Look at verse 10. To translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba. Dan to Beersheba, just refer north to south. In other words, all of Israel. 
not just Judah, which is where he was currently reigning. Was that not God's will? (laughs) What Abner said, (laughs) that was God's will all along. Let me give you a critical takeaway. We said that God's will cannot be overruled by, by, by human will. We said it could not be overruled by human weakness. And here, God's will cannot be overruled by human wickedness. Again, this goes back to Isaiah 14, 27. What is it that God desires? What is it that he wills? Well, then it's going down. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. We do not have to be afraid of the term, the sovereignty of God. We don't have to dodge that. We don't have to avoid it. It simply means that he is supreme in power and in rule. Is that not true? He is. So, this is deep, at least for a guy like me. I'm not the deepest guy in the room. You've figured that out by now, but how about this? Abner and Esbosheth exercise their free will, and God exercised his by using theirs to advance his. That's a God who is sovereign. Listen, God did not force anyone to do anything. Whether it was Abner, whether it was David, whether it was Embosheth, we can go on and on. They all made their choices. And God says, you have a free will, and so do I. So I'm going to use yours to advance mine. How about that? This is the first mention of throne of David in Scripture. And when you're talking about a throne, it represents the rule of a king. So doctrinally, this reference points to the millennial reign of Christ. And Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 is your critical cross-reference there that talks about the throne of David and that messianic prophecy of Christ. But this is why we said that the doctrinal theme of 2 Samuel is the installation of the throne of David and the Davidic covenant that we're going to walk into when we get to chapter 7. But in terms of us not being situational in character, consider Proverbs 11 and verse 3. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. So integrity... It just means complete. It's the opposite of divided. Someone who has integrity, they're undivided, right? They are. They're, They're not divided. They are complete. Abner was not only divided, but he was also double minded because he was situational. When you are guided by integrity, listen, regardless of the situation, the circumstance, the setting, the scenario, there will not be a discrepancy in your character whatsoever. It doesn't matter what the situation is. The audience, it doesn't matter. There's not going to be a shift in your character. Now, some things that you may do differently, yes, because of maybe you're on a missions trip and, or maybe someone offers you buttermilk. And you don't want to be rude, right? Not talking about that. We're talking about you're on a business trip and some guys are going out. And you know, you know what? That, that's not for me. 
No, uh, I'll pass. Thank you. You're at the water cooler at work, and someone says something that's ungodly, something that is inappropriate, and I've been in that situation where it's obvious. You're not laughing. It's obvious that you don't agree. I will never forget uh, my boss years ago uh, walks in my office and says, hey, we, we had a meeting scheduled that afternoon, and, and he says, hey, how about we go to this particular establishment for our meeting? It was an establishment that would be inappropriate for me to, to have gone to, and I said, well, I hear that you want to go off-site for the meeting. No problem with that, but that particular establishment won't be an option for me. He goes, why not? I said, well, for starters, it would be dishonoring to my God, and it, it would be disrespectful to my wife. He stood there kind of <laughs> to know what to say. He goes, okay, uh, you tell me where you want to go. <laughs> no problem. I'll be glad to. I'll give you some options. That won't be one of them. And I'm not, listen, that, that's not me boasting. What I'm saying is it's just we all live in those situations, don't we? How's your character in those moments? Finally, verse 11. And he could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. That is very heavy for me. Although Esbosheth was not appointed by God as king over his people, this is still twisted, right? I mean, if anybody was to fear anybody, shouldn't it have been the other way? Shouldn't Esbosheth have feared, or shouldn't Abner have feared Esbosheth? I mean, he was the king, right? I mean, this is flowing the wrong way. Esbosheth was not like Jonathan, his brother. Uh, Jonathan, as we read in chapter 1 of, of 2 Samuel, in that great eulogy that David performed, uh, he referred to him as mighty. He was valiant. He was warrior-like. Ishbosheth wasn't. Ishbosheth was weak, and he was afraid, and Abner knew that. And because of his character... Instead of trying to invest in Ishbosheth, instead of trying to strengthen him and build him up and help him to grow and develop as a leader, Abner had no interest in that. He didn't do that. He simply used him to promote himself. That was Abner. He saw an opportunity, he was an opportunist. So here's the fifth observation about the carnal they are spiteful. They are spiteful. When we're talking about being spiteful, we're talking about the malicious treatment of others. Carnal people treat others like garbage. They are vicious, unkind, just spiteful, use and abuse people. Listen, one of the reasons... One of the reasons that Isbosheth would have feared Abner because he would have had a front row seat of how Abner dealt with people. 
He would have. He would have seen Abner at work. He, he would have seen what happens when, when people disagree with Abner. He would have seen what happens when people disappoint Abner. He would have seen that. He, he would have seen Abner when he was just devious and malicious and all the things that he did. And through that would have deduced, do not cross that guy. Do not mess with Abner. Oh, no. Abner practiced one of the worst forms of leadership. You know what that was? Fear-based leadership. It is one of the worst forms of leadership that there is. Fear-based leadership. That was how Abner approached leadership. Fear-based leadership is leadership that where the leader now leads with fear and intimidation. You will fear me and you will be intimidated by me so much so that you'll be afraid to even look me in the eye. You'll drop your head when I walk by you. Fear-based leadership. This is where people live in constant fear of disappointing, displeasing the leader. It is one of the worst forms of leadership that there is. And Abner... (laughs) I learned it from none other than his first cousin, King Saul. That's exactly how he led. Fear-based leadership. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food, and all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were come into the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. Saul made this battle with the Philistines about his glory, not God's. Look at the verse again, verse 24, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. Well, weren't these the enemies of God? When did this become about you? Listen, when it comes to fear-based leadership, it's always about that man. It's always about that person. It's always about you when you lead from this place. And so as the battle continued, he issued an oath that said no man could eat until evening. We're going to keep fighting. This battle is continuing, and I don't want anybody eating until tonight. These are combat soldiers. How foolish was that? The men feared not keeping that oath because to not keep the oath of a king at this time invited dreadful consequences. It was not cheap disobedience. But that oath, listen, it wasn't based on God's word. 
It wasn't based on what God said. It was based on what Saul said. See, this is a problem. This is one of the many problems with fear-based leaders. And oh my goodness, fear-based leaders develop a God complex. So if I decide (laughs) that it is in everybody's best interest to not eat until evening, I don't care if God said it or not. As far as these people are concerned, I'm God. There it is. That is fear-based leadership at its finest. And listen, (laughs) one of the signs of fear-based leadership is legalism. That is one of the signs of fear-based leadership. Legalism. This is one of the reasons that independent Baptist fundamental churches are currently in the spiritual graveyard or they're well on their way, they're dying. This is one of the reasons. People in those settings uh, fear being caught leaving a movie theater. They fear being caught in the summertime on a 100-degree day wearing shorts at Walmart. Because God forbid if I get caught leaving the theater, if I get caught at Walmart wearing shorts, they're going to kick me out of the school. Brothers and sisters, that is repulsive to me. It's repulsive. And I wish I was exaggerating. I am not. Some of the abuse that has been inflicted upon God's people in those settings is unspeakable. The fear that they live in, they are terrified. I mean, just like, well, you know, got to be careful because I don't want anybody to see me if I go here, if I go do this or that. I mean, we're, talk- we're not talking about anything ungodly. <laughs> And it's like the verse in 1 Thessalonians, abstain from the appearance of evil. Boy, that gets very subjective. So now, leaving a movie theater is evil. Really? Help me with that. And by the way, the same movies that they, you know, rebuke people for going to see, they watch them at home. Hypocrisy always lives next door to legalism, doesn't it? Please hear this. Fear-based leadership always leads to the abuse of people. It does. It always leads to the abuse of people. Abner was an abusive man. He was... This is why Abner, or this is why Isbosheth was afraid of him. He used and he abused Isbosheth, his own blood. This is family. Now, to every leader, we need to be up close and personal on the heart of Christ as it relates to fear based leadership. Uh, let's just say it's not recommended. Revelation 2, verse 6, to the church at Ephesus. 
But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Revelation 2.15, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So this word Nicolaitan just means to conquer the people. Uh, Nicolaitans historically, they were Abner-like. They were. They wanted to implement a leadership structure in the church that allowed them to lord over God's people. So I'm the leader, I've got the title, I've got the office, and with that, I also get to inherit a God complex. And so when it comes down to how you want to school your children, you'll want to talk to me. When it comes down to what you should wear, how you ought to dress, you'll want to talk to me. I mean, this is, this is insane. And Jesus not only hated their deeds, he hated their doctrine. Would you hear this? Christ hates fear-based leadership. He hates it. It is not how any of us want to lead. Why? Because it leads to the malicious treatment of people. Fear-based leadership always goes there. MBT leaders, myself included, if our leadership approach is calling people to follow us out of fear, Christ hates that. Hates it. Husbands, if your wife lives in constant fear of letting you down, disappointing you, you don't have his heart and you don't have hers either. If your wife is just always on eggshells and she's just waiting, like just what is the critique going to be today? What's the criticism going to be today? What's the slight today? How am I going to fail him today? I mean, she, she has mastered the tightrope. Every day, she's just in your home, and she's just trying to, like, just... I mean, she would fit right in at the circus. She could do it. You've trained her really well. That's diabolical. That's not love. Parents, if your children are just waiting for the next lecture, the next critique, you're crushing them. Like every single time, something, like every time, they just, they can count on hearing from you whenever they fail you. They can count on that. What they can't count on is when they achieve something. Listen, it, it is, uh, I'll say this, I, I've said this before, starting with men in the home, 
you want to create a compliment culture. You want to create that. Again, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? Husbands, if you told, if, okay, let's just be open here, transparent. As a woman, if you disagree with me, raise your hand. I promise you, I, won't, I will not be offended. I'll just go, okay, no problem. I hear you. But if your husband told you 10 times a day that he loves you, and he said it sincerely, would you get tired of that? Is there a woman in the room who would, you know, that'd be a bit much. Right? Like, Lori will just, like the other day, she, uh, and I was joking. I was joking. Like, she went to the store, and she grabbed a few things, and and, uh, and I just made a joke about something that she forgot. I mean, seriously, I was joking. I was like, oh, you, you, you got your favorite snack, but forgot mine. All right, no big deal. I hear you. I see how it goes here. I mean, I, it was, I'm, I mean, there wasn't an ounce of this. I mean, it was just, I was just jabbing at it. It's what we do. I forgot about it. Two hours later, she approaches me. And she's like, like a servant, like, sorry, master. And just like it, I was like, Lori, no way, no way. That's my wife. You know, she's always, always looking to help me. I mean, she lives for it. Like she, she's all like she, she, she's always, you know, maybe I could help him here. I could. And, and you know what? It's just. Like, man, you know what? She needs to hear that. She needs to hear that, fellas. Like, study your wife. When, when she helps you, like, just let her know that. What are some things that you observe about your wife that you appreciate? I really appreciate this about you. What a blessing. All these years, and you've always been like this. Whatever it might be, she needs to hear that. Same with your kids. I love you. I am so proud of you. You are so good at. I really appreciate this about you. Like that's you take the lead on that, fellas. Leaders in the workplace, if those who report to you always find a reason to walk away once you come around, that's a problem. As a leader, you don't want anybody following you fear and trembling. You do want them in fear and in trembling, but (laughs) before the Lord, not you. Does that make sense? You don't want anybody afraid of you. You don't. All those scenarios, if that's how we're leading, it means that we're lording, not leading. Let me close with with Colossians 3 and verse 8. And this is where we need to land from a leadership perspective. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice. That's spiteful. Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. The issue with the carnal is they haven't put these things away. They haven't put malice away. And that's how they treat people. They're spiteful. 
But for you and me, as we're growing and developing in leadership, we want to put that away. And we want to lead people in a Christ-like way. Lord, thank you so much for the time that you've given us this morning to consider these things from your word. May we hide them in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.